This is Solidarity News on Radio Labour. This is a Radio Labour World Report recorded on Friday, April 2nd, 2021. I'm Mark Boulanger. In the report this week, a special program about the plight of garment workers in Bangladesh and what a union is doing to help them. Plus, the Labour Start report about union events and singing. For every stitch of clothing, someone sweats away unseen. While tangled threads of justice unravel at the seams. From slums of New York City to the streets of Bangladesh. Hundred years of struggle, it ain't over yet. This is Radio Labor. These are the women we are talking about who are pulling their legs and fighting to have their union boys at work free, who are fighting to have a safe work free, who are fighting to have a gender violence free work place. If you had the, a company of, that is sourcing its product from there and has witnessed those conditions, I just honestly, from my upbringing, I just don't know how anybody goes to bed with a clear conscience. Garment workers in Bangladesh are employed in dangerous jobs which don't even pay them a living wage. The country has 4,000 factories which employ about 4 million workers, mostly young women. In an attempt to help the workers and their families, the United Steelworkers has released a report which traces the connections between companies in Canada and specific factories in Bangladesh. The report is called Not Even the Bare Minimum. To find out more about the report and the situation in Bangladesh, I talked to Kalpona Aktor and Ken Newman. Ms. Aktor is the president of the Bangladesh Garment and Industrial Workers Federation and executive director of the Bangladesh Center for Workers' Solidarity. Mr. Newman is the Steelworkers National Director for Canada. I reached Ms. Aktor in her office in Bangladesh and asked her to describe the workers the report focused on. They're basically factory worker who produce clothes for these brands. They are sewer, like machine operator, who sew the clothes. These are the young female workers who are making clothes in those factories. Majority of them young female workers. These are the young female workers who had a dream. They came from the countryside and they had a dream that when they come to the city and get the job, and these jobs will change their life. Okay. Uh, they will have respectable wages, they will have a good life. But when they come into the city and getting a job in the factory, their dream never come true. They're ending up their life with a poverty wages job. The minimum wage is, you know, $105, kind of close to that, a month, which is not enough for one person, full month cost, let alone if they have children in the family. These women pulling their life in this long shifting hour in those factories, they don't have any savings, nor they do have a house, which we can call a decent house. These women workers, over 30% of their wages for their housing only, it's a rental house. It's not a dream house. It's like 10 by 10 concrete room. Sometimes they don't have windows. These are the women export income for the country. Like 80% of our export income coming from this garment industry, but these, these women's life is not safe. 
The report about the Bangladeshi garment workers is entitled Not Even the Bare Minimum. It was commissioned by the Humanity Fund of the Steelworkers in Canada. Ken Newman is president of the fund, as well as being the Steelworkers National Director for Canada. I asked him what the report Not Even the Bare Minimum does. First of all, what the report does is that we've been able to identify Pacific garment factories in Bangladesh that supply five different Canadian retailers. You've got Hudson's Bay Company, you've got Joe Fresh, you've got Marks, you've got Nygaard, and you've got Lululemon. And what the report shows is that the women who sew our clothes are earning only 6 or $7 per day. And I say not per hour, this is per day. And in our view, that isn't even enough, not nearly enough even in Bangladesh for a worker to have a decent life or to pay for reasonable housing, nutritious food, transportation, clothing, children's education, health care, and all the other essentials to try to save something for a future for a rainy day. So that's what has come out of this report. We see that some of these workers are just uh, living, not, not having a living wage. That's why this report is important. What are you asking companies to do? Well, first and foremost, we're asking Canadian garment brands and retailers to, first of all, publicly acknowledge that they have a responsibility for workers in their global supply chains. And there are two urgent things that we're asking the Canadian brands that they can do immediately. The first one is to make an explicit public commitment that they will ensure that their suppliers pay workers their full wages and benefits through this pandemic. And secondly, is that they commit to contributing to what is called a Global Severance Guarantee Fund that will ensure workers are never left penniless when they lose their jobs. This means that they would be entering into a legal binding agreement to pay a premium price of 1.5% on each garment that's ordered. So that's really what we're asking the Canadian companies to make a commitment to immediately up front. Why did the steel workers commission the report, and why are you concerned about workers in Bangladesh? Well, Mark, you know, the steel workers have a long history on international solidarity, and our union was the first one back in, in the mid-'80s where we established a dedicated labor fund to support worker and human rights around the world. You know, we understand that workers' rights around the world are interconnected. Garment workers' struggles for their rights are connected to our own struggles here in Canada. And I can tell you that on a personal note, Mark, I actually visited uh, Bangladesh one year after the anniversary of the Rana Plaza tragedy. And I can tell you that this has had a lasting impact on me uh, going forward. Uh, I have witnessed many things in my career, the trade union movement or even my upbringing. And to witness what I've witnessed after the one-year anniversary of the collapse of Rana Plaza and to be there... For the first time, the families were allowed to the site. And to see what I've seen is it just brings tears to your eyes. Here with his report about union events is Labor Start correspondent Derek Blackadder. Each day, Labor Start's volunteers collect hundreds of news items about the struggles of workers and their unions from around the world in 36 languages. Here's a small sample of their work. 
Our top story section included links to coverage of the huge impact that the global labor rights campaign and the coordinated strikes against Deliveroo had on that company's initial public offering this week, the death of a center of trade unions of Myanmar youth leader at the hands of Myanmar's military, and the assassination of yet another trade union leader in the Philippines. One story that has had a long, perhaps way too long, life on our news pages is the rising level of repression aimed at civil society in general and trade unions in particular. Unions, with their mass base and institutional resources, and rooted in the inactivity work, which is by every standard essential, are proving once again to be the foundation on which progressive political change is built. A quick scan of today's news stories on our main page confirms this. In just a few hours this morning alone, news stories about the targeting of unions and union activists in Hong Kong, Belarus, the Philippines, Myanmar, India, Cambodia, Fiji, Eswatini, and Turkey have been posted to our site. In most cases, authoritarian governments are using state power to reinforce employer-led attacks on workers' rights or to destroy trade unions as a center of anti-regime organizing. In others, either the regime, as in Belarus and Myanmar, or paramilitary forces suspected of links to security forces and employers, as is the case in the Philippines, target trade union activists for threats, assault, and murder. That we continue to see union-related stories from these and other countries is a tribute to the courage of workers struggling to win a better life for themselves and for their communities. For our Working Women page, our volunteers found news of the innovative tactics developed by the Domestic Workers Union in El Salvador when dealing with disputes, a Canadian union that is targeting women in a new workplace safety campaign, and the challenges faced by 96 million precariously employed Indian women. Our photo of the week is of a march in support of progressive labor law reform in Spain that would address the problems laid bare by the pandemic. Current campaigns that we are running at the request of unions around the world include urgent appeals for online solidarity with trade unions in Pakistan, Israel, Europe, Kazakhstan, Jordan, Ukraine, India, and in Albania. This is Derek Blackadder from Labor Start, reporting for Radio Labor. Now here are the low tide drifters with every stitch. Clothing someone sweats away unseen 
of the tangle of threads of justice unravel at the seams from the slums of New York City to the streets of Bangladesh hundred years of struggle it ain't over yet in the ashes of disaster New York's union stood to fight they won safety international labor news you can use. You can find our features and daily newscasts at radiolabor.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radiolabor. I'm Mark Belanger. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's all about global solidarity. <laughs>